Welcome to ING's Think Aloud with me, Rebecca Byrne. In today's episode... Inflation continues to be undesirably high and is expected to remain above our target for some time. At our upcoming meetings, further normalisation of interest rates will be appropriate. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde announced a 50 basis point rate hike this week, the first increase in more than a decade and the biggest since the year 2000. It comes after inflation in the Eurozone surged to a record high of 8.6% in June, more than four times the ECB's target. Still, the rise in rates comes against a backdrop of geopolitical turmoil and a deteriorating economic outlook reflected in the Euro's recent fall to parity with the dollar. Political uncertainty in Italy, the war in Ukraine, fears of an energy crisis and a looming recession are threatening the ECB's plans to normalise interest rates before the process has really even got started. The bank hopes its new bond-buying programme, dubbed the Transmission Protection Instrument, will help to soften the blow of rising interest rates and delay worries of another debt crisis. But will it work? And what's likely to happen next? My guest today is ING's Global Head of Macro, Karsten Brzezewski. So we got a half point moved by the ECB, which is more than was signalled at the last meeting. But is it too little too late? Because other central banks in Europe and around the world started hiking quite a long time ago and are much further along this road. Is the ECB behind the curve? Well, the ECB has definitely been behind the curve and probably is still behind the curve uh, and that's also the always the tricky thing about being a a central bank watcher are we because we have we have actually two roles we have to say what we think a central bank in my case the ecb is going to do and then the other part is that we're going to tell everyone who's listening or who doesn't want to listen what the central bank should do well, in, in the case of the ECB, these have been two different things um, over, over the last couple of months, at least. And um, the ECB has been behind. I must say, really, with this 50 basis points today, I'm actually quite satisfied because it shows me that the ECB has finally understood how far they have been running behind. They finally understood that there is more in the life of a central banker than being predictable and then forward guidance and that uh, really with inflation continuously overshooting you don't start small you start big and this big was 50 basis points and I think it was a good move. But Lagarde obviously admitted that the eurozone economy is facing a lot of headwinds right now and we're pretty much staring a recession in the face. How severe is this likely to be and will that at least solve the problem of inflation? Well, I think she, she must have read our last Economic Monthly update, Rebecca. I'm uh, sure she did. <laughs> because sure remember what the title was, Europe's Recovery Cancelled. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have been talking about a recession in, in Europe already now for, for a while. And um, I think she di- Lagarde didn't mention the word recession, but she's clearly flagged all the downside risks as a good central banker has to do. Um, and how serious is the situation? Well, in our base case scenario, we expect already a recession, a technical recession, which is two consecutive quarters of contraction. This could be minus 0.1 and minus 0.1. Um, so, you know, this would be a recession hardly anyone would notice. Um, 
but it is a recession. And when you look at all the factors, what do we have? We have high energy prices, high commodity prices. They are denting purchasing power. They will weigh on private consumption. They are increasingly weighing on profit margins of corporates. We have ongoing supply chain frictions in an you know, very open economy like the Eurozone is. We have um, actually something that is not on everyone's radar screen so far. We have a um, very dry summer, which will probably lead to problems in the uh, the waterways transportation in uh, in late summer and, and in fall. We have the ongoing war in Ukraine with lots of uncertainty. We have zero COVID in China. Well, you know, the list is long and will probably it would be longer than this podcast episode should last. Um, so there are so many downside risks to um, to the European economy that you have to expect a at least a recession. If we were to see this worst case scenario that also had been discussed this week with the uh, the Nord Stream 1 issue, um, so will this pipeline be opened again? Will Russian gas still continue to come to Germany and to Europe? If we were to see a gas stop um, between Russia and, and Europe in the winter, uh, which is not our base case scenario, but let's be clear, I think this is possible, then we would no longer talk about a mild recession, but then we would start talking about a severe recession. Yeah, well, the IMF warned this week that GDP could shrink up to 6% in some countries if Russia were to turn off the taps. How painful do you think it's going to be to make this transition away from Russian energy? Painful, um, really painful, because there are very small, not to say no real short-term alternatives. Um, so, which means we would be facing energy supply disruptions. We might be facing, obviously everything also depends on how severe would the winter be. You know, would it be a very cold winter? Will it be a mild winter? In, in a cold winter scenario, I think then particularly at the start of next year, so talking January, February, March, first quarter, there might be energy supply disruptions. This would mean governments having to decide on who will get energy and who won't, which sector, which industry is more relevant. Uh, what about households? In all these uh, European emergency plans, households would come last uh, when, when, when it comes to, to rationing energy. But, well, you know... Um, well, can, can people still sit with 22 degrees at home during the winter? Um, probably not. So, so this is, you know, it is very severe. And I think we also have to be clear also with all of our analysis, this would be, again, such an unprecedented event, which we probably can hardly imagine to the full extent. Right. And on top of that, we have this political upheaval going on in Italy. Mario Draghi's resigned. Bond spreads have widened. There were lots of questions about this in the press conference, which Lagarde seemed to quite skillfully dodge. Uh, but it does put the ECB in the odd position of having to hike rates while also having to help out these weaker, more indebted countries. The ECB has introduced this new anti-fragmentation tool, but can it work? Can we avoid another debt crisis? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's actually it's funny that you say that uh, Lagarde skillfully dodged these questions because I always uh, always do a very very brief survey amongst the colleagues and friends after each uh, press conference. And the funny thing is that the views on how Lagarde performed um, 
differ quite significantly. So they, <laughs> I guess they they are they also require a kind of anti-fragmentation instrument uh, <laughs> to to get a convergence on you know whether Lagarde is really doing a good job or not. Okay, side side remark. Um, on uh, well, the other the other irony obviously is that also. You know, in the middle of the euro crisis, or actually before the euro crisis accelerated again, there was 2011. The ECB hiked interest rates, and there and there are obviously the warners saying, "Gosh, ECB is repeating its mistake of 2011." Because shortly after uh, the ECB had started hiking interest rates in 2011. The Greek crisis um, escalated, and you remember then the the, the clashes between Varoufakis and, uh, and 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 Wolfgang Schäuble. So this is what happened actually after the last ECB rate hikes. Well, um, this time around, I think we all agree, and we and our colleagues yeah, um, Philippe Ledon and uh, and Paolo Pizzoli made made excellent analysis, which can also be found on 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 the Think website about the current debt sustainability, the current economics. And and just based on economics, we don't have to be afraid of the return of a euro crisis. Well, debt sustainability is okay. Inflation actually helps debt sustainability. Um, Italy, prior to the crisis, um, did a relatively good job. Italy has a growth problem, but not so much a, a current public finance problem. They have a problem with a high government debt. They they, they pile up over the years. Um, but uh, but let's say annual budget management has been good. Also under Mario Draghi, now um, they, they brought forward a couple of more reforms. Draghi actually helped in, uh, in, in getting a big chunk from the money of this European recovery fund. So there is also Italy is not only dependent on um, on its own bonds, but they get European money. They get the grants. Uh, I think almost close to two hundred billion euro. So you know, just based on the fundamentals, we shouldn't talk about Italy and and the return of the euro crisis. It's only that there's always this reflex every time, and there are many elections in Italy, as we know. But every every time a, a, a government falls, there is a government crisis in Italy. Everyone talks about, is this the return of the euro crisis? Well, also the ECB talks about it. The ECB now decided to, um, on this. It's no longer called anti-fragmentation uh, tool. It's now called transmission protection instrument. And uh, what is this? Well, in the end, it is nothing else than purchasing bonds again. And that's the irony of the story. The ECB just decided uh, to stop purchasing bonds end of June. Um, and now, and that's also the dilemma for the ECB, they have to, to combine um, the fight against inflation, which you can only win if you hike interest rates, and at the same time, the fight against fragmentation or speculations uh, on a new euro crisis, which you can only win if you buy bonds. Um, so this is like, you know, sitting in your car and, and, and one foot is pushing down the accelerator and the other one, the brakes, you're not, you're not moving. Uh, you rather destroy your car. And um, so therefore, would it work? Well, I looked at the details. They look promising, but it's it's a symbolic one. It's it's a symbolic one. Um, conditionality is in there, but it's not, it's, it's not a strict conditionality. Um, I think it could work. There is one difference that the ECB implicitly says that they would neutralize bond purchases, meaning that the balance sheet of the ECB would not increase, meaning that they could not go all the way to do a whatever it takes. 
even though Lagarde said it would be unlimited, the fact that these purchases would be neutralized or sterilized in technical terms um, simply um, prevent the ECB from doing a whatever it takes. And, you know, to put this in a more, I think, geopolitical or political perspective, what is it that financial markets are always looking for? In the end, they are looking for, is there someone in the monetary union who stands up and says, yes, it's me. I'm the unconditional crisis or firefighter of the Eurozone. I am the lender of last resort. Mario Draghi did so um, in 2012. Um, the ECB did so with whatever it takes, uh, the OMT program, and markets bought it. We, didn't have, uh, we, we haven't had any speculation since. Well, now the ECB has other things to do. They can no longer fulfill this role of an unconditional lender of last resort. So this is up to governments. And um, so if everyone now asks, okay, who's going to be it? It cannot be the ECB. It has to be government. So if we want to prevent a euro crisis for good, we need to look to Brussels. We need to look to national capitals. And we're hopefully going to hear from them that they have so many crises to fight right now that they definitely do, don't want to have a euro crisis on top of that and that they that they will do whatever it takes to prevent another euro crisis so what's next for the ecb Carsten? what are the next steps lagarde did say that more hikes are coming the market had been pricing in nearly 200 basis points of tightening by june next year is the market overestimating the amount of tightening that's coming yeah, Lagarde also said last winter that there wouldn't be any rate hikes in 2022. Um, so I, I think Lagarde's credibility um, giving good forward guidance has uh, clearly been harmed. Um, what is it what we expect? Um, we've always said that uh, there will be a total of 100 basis points rate hikes spread over the summer. And we might spread this until a kind of Indian summer, so October. For me, I think we will see um, another rate hike by 50 basis points, then it's over and out, and at least it's going to be over and out until spring, summer next year, because as we learned in these uncertain times, we really have no idea how the world will look like next spring or next summer. Um, and we've also learned from the ECB, as you know, many good politicians do, when the facts change, they change their own view and opinion. Um, so therefore, we still go for no further rate hikes after the late summer. Um, and I would think it, it is at least guaranteed that there won't be more rate hikes after the summer, at least until mid next year. Okay, ING's global head of macro, Carsten Brzezewski. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rebecca. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation, or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice, or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content disclaimer.